0: I'm a big believer that experience teaches my goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm going to share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the Internet. I'm going to tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. All right, so we just start. I don't have some crazy intro. I don't have any live reads or anything like that, but I will welcome Chip Close to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time today, brother. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm a big fan of you and I'm glad we connected over the last year or so.
0: I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed that it took this long because I'm such a I don't know about you, but I'm I'm a kind of one man show here. I just started recently outsourcing this stuff. Yeah. Like no edits fly by night. So
1: i apologize it took so long to get you on the show but here we are no listen but you 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 got a lot of important people to talk to i'm uh, <laughs> um listen i and i felt the same thing it took a while to get you onto the restaurant strategy podcast yeah but we finally did it was all worth it
0: it's not easy you know i as much as i try to like encourage people to get a podcast up and running i mapped it out one time we like, were talking about note-taking just before we went on the air and like yeah. how, how you remember things it was like 19 steps like yeah prospecting the guys following up getting pictures and bios and all that stuff. It's, it's not easy. It takes a lot of work, but so I love it.
1: You know, what's really funny is that I spend a lot of time talking about systems and goals. Cause I work mm. with a lot of restaurant owners, operators all over the country. And, and it's this foundational piece that I think they are, um, particularly bad at. And I don't mean them to single them out. I think it's something that a lot of people are, are really bad at. And it's funny because you bring up podcasting and you're right. There are like 19 steps to get something from oh, your head into the microphone, onto the air, and to a point where people hear about it. And when I started the podcast, the restaurant strategy podcast about, I don't know, three and a half years ago, it was one of my goals for the year. I said, I'm going to start a podcast and i famously committed to doing 30 episodes 30 episodes in a row 30 weeks in a row and my thinking was i i, I didn't know if it was going to be good i didn't know if anybody was going to care about it yep but for me my goal was to do 30 episodes and what then would happen and what did happen is that i would get a system for putting out an episode because uh, i had to get good about writing an episode ideating uh, you know recording it editing it publishing it, you know, Mm. getting all of that. I had to do all of those steps. So at the end of the day, if I get to the end of the 30 episodes and I just thought, well, that sucked, or I don't like this anymore, or I don't think it was very good, or nobody liked it, even if I do like it, no preconceived notions. I just thought at the end of it, I'm going to know how to do a podcast. Yeah, I'm going to know everything I need to know that all these systems. and, And I think it's something we don't spend enough time talking about, right? I always say with the restaurant owners I work with, you need a goal. Right. Goals tethered to a problem. We don't do anything that isn't trying to solve a problem, meaning we make money, but we need to make more money. That's a problem and a goal. Right. How much money and how and then what are we doing to make X number of dollars? What else do we need to do to make Y number of dollars? And 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 then what are you going to learn over the course of that? Right. And this is simple. Right we only make $2000 on monday nights and it'd be really great if we made $3000 cuz 2500 is, is our break even okay mm-hmm. now we got specifics we know right. where we're at 2000 we know where we need to be at 3000 and then yeah. what are the systems you put in place to get those additional covers or that additional revenue and at the end of it even if you're like well we didn't really we didn't really succeed and now we're deciding to just close on monday nights cuz we can't increase at least you learned all of these other things yeah. about yourself you figured out how to brainstorm and how to delegate things to other people and how to build relationships and whatever else it is. You came out of there better than you went in, and totally, and that's, that's really valuable. That's a huge
0: piece of running a business. I mean, if you look at the podcast, just for the for one second, is that is a, it's a business, right? And you have to run it. You have to run it, otherwise, it's going to run you like any other business. But I did just see that, like you know, these like you just mentioned those skill sets of you know reaching out to people, editing a podcast, the graphics, the social media, all that stuff digital marketing is an is one of the most in-demand set of skills that you can have across all industries right now. You know, yep. 10 years ago, it was being an engineer. or was being whatever it was. But now yep. it's so interesting that that's what it is. But it's interesting what you say about restaurants having goals and all that stuff because, I mean, let's talk about that because it seems like that's a skill set that needs to be, like, injected into them,
1: right? That's because it's like, we just got to be busy. Yeah. That's the whole thing, right? A business exists to serve a need. A business exists to turn a profit without Mm -hmm. a profit. It's just a hobby. Yeah, totally. It's a a nonprofit. (laughs) You know, churches fill a very, you know, uh, soup kitchens, they fill a very important specific need. They don't make a profit. Mm -hmm. So if you just want to make food and feed a lot of people, you can do that and not make a profit, but there's a different avenue to do it. So you fill a need. Hopefully you fill a need for enough people that they're willing to give you money so that you turn a profit. Like, Embedded and what we end up doing so much in the restaurant industry um, is right, and you, we know this. Like, oh, everybody says my cooking's really good. They say oh, I make really Christ. good pizza. They yeah. love my burgers, and I think I'm going to try this restaurant thing. Right? Yeah, the man. number one worst reason for starting a restaurant <sighs> yeah. is everybody tells me my food is so good. Nobody cares. No. Nobody besides the you know Joe and Carol from next door yeah. who love the burgers you make for them on Sunday afternoons. Yeah. It's got to be beyond. It's got to be beyond that, and it's got to mm. be then. tethered to a goal? At what point is this profitable? At what point is this business worth me doing it? You can not answer that question? What? Why are we doing it in the first place? That's
0: so that's really was kind of like the crux of the problems for my, my partners. uh, When in my first restaurants, I, it's like, I know that this is good. I agree with you that this is good. It's it is good. People love it, but why? Why is it not moving? Why? When are we gonna start to make those changes? Do you find it difficult to get through? I know I, mean, I know chefs. I know chefs. I've, I've been a chef. I worked with chefs, and now I have to deal with them on the other side where I need some. Yep. And they are very tough to pin down. Restaurant owners are also very tough to pin down. They have a vision in their head. What do you find like the mindset of these guys when you approach them? Like, hey, what's your goal? Are they kind of like a uh, good question, or they're like, oh, here's
1: where we are, and So it's a great question. I'm now at a point in my career and I wasn't always here. So I, I, I acknowledge that this is a, I won't call it a luxury, but you know, it's a benefit here where I believe what I believe. Mm -hmm. I believe restaurants succeed for a series of reasons. I believe they fail for a certain number of reasons. And when I go to work with a client, a chef, an owner, an operator, whatever, I say, this is what I believe. We have to go through the following steps and either they believe me or they don't believe me. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of times they're like, no, 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 no. We just need help with Facebook ads. No, 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 no. You mm-hmm. don't have a product market fit. You don't know your audience. You have no differentiation from the other nine Irish pubs in the block, from the other right. 12 pizza places in this neighborhood. So for me, it comes down to, right, start with why, right? That Simon Sinek book. Yep. Why does this need to exist, right? Like, like why do we do it? We understand this is what most businesses do, right? This is that Simon Sinek golden circle. He says, what, how, and why? He said, most businesses work from the outside in. If you think of them like three concentric circles, why mm-hmm. is on the inside, how is one ring out, and then what is on the outside? Most businesses start from the outside and say, we know what we do. Mm-hmm. And then they go one ring in and say, and we know how we do it or how we're different from other people, but they never go into the why. Mm. And I think it's so important to understand, like why do you do what you do, number one? And number two, why do you need to exist? Yeah. That why then defines the how. The, why does the, the world how need then you? Yeah. Informs, informs the what. So for me, I enter into the conversations by saying, you have an undifferentiated product. You don't have clear goals about we don't have a clear audience. I, I start from there because I think 99% of the problems that plague restaurants is foundational, right? That oh, they have yeah. an undifferentiated product. They don't understand what problem they're trying to solve. So how can you possibly convince people and at my heart I'm a, I'm a marketer yeah right you have to convince people to choose you as opposed to someone else and you, you just have to supply that answer it's not going to be it's not going to uh, convince everybody but hopefully you convince enough people so that you can be successful so you can turn a profit yeah i mean that
0: that's the thing i mean the i think pizza here in new york that's a great example like hey dude i know pizza is great we love it i know you clearly know how to make it but why do you exist why are you on this planet what's the point so what for anybody out there who's probably dealing with that type of situation, right? I mean, how do you go about it? Where? What are the differentiation points that they can look at to say, hey, this is an opportunity for me instead of competing on slices and pies, slices and pies, yep.
1: garlic knots, two liters of Coke? Here's the. It's a great question. Here's the best part. The best part of it is it starts with you, mm-hmm. right? So I always say, I always ask uh, operators to answer this question, right? What are the stories only you can tell? Right, like, what are the things that make you you? That make you unique? That no one else can claim? There are plenty of other pizza places. There are plenty mm-hmm. of other Neapolitan pizza places. There are plenty of other, like, so what makes you different? Is it yeah. that you've got a variety of ingredients? Is it you got this forty-year-old starter that you use? Is it because you're on this block? And uh, there are no shortage of answers when you start looking at it that way. Right? What are the stories only? I can tell. I always use Gramercy Tavern as an example, Mm -hmm. right? Gramercy Tavern's in New York City on 20th Street. They're now, I don't know, 25, 30 years old. They're like an institution. They're one of the most famous restaurants. And I always use that example because people generally know it's owned by Danny Meyer. And I say, okay, what are the stories only they can tell? It's owned by Danny Meyer. It's the only restaurant that's ever existed at that address because yep. before that, it was a manufacturer, it was like a printing press. I right? It that's gave cool. Tom, it put Tom Colicchio on the map, right? The mm-hmm. top chef. Yep. Um, they've got two restaurants under one thing. They've got a Stephen Hannock painting in the front. It's an original. It's it literally only hangs in one place. It is right there when you walk in the door. You can go on and on and on, but that's how you start doing. You start finding mm-hmm. stories. And even if it's just a sandwich shop in the shopping center, say yeah. hey, we're the only sandwich shop in this shopping center. That's a story that only you can tell in that yeah. in that little micro market. It so takes thinking. It right? You gotta think about way. it. You gotta really think about it. It's not, it's not so superficial. It's not like we have the best pepperoni. You gotta really think. And here's where we go from restaurants to culture. Mm. So much of what we're taught growing up. Is how to fit in right we know this we don't want to stand out we don't want to draw attention we, we all know this right anybody listening to this re- mm. remembers being 12 13 14 15 just wanting to fit in and what we discover being an adult is that actually it's the things that make us quirky unique our our unique sense of taste and yep. style that actually set us apart and kyle we've talked about this mm. how you've differentiated yourself in your industry yeah. And that is what's set you apart. It's no different from anywhere else. Right. I mean, Steve Jobs, if we look at Apple, right? Steve Jobs was, was a pariah because he built a closed system. Mm-hmm. So if anybody mm-hmm. knows computers, if anybody doesn't know computers, right? Uh, the, the the Mac is unique because it's a closed system. You can't open it up and add to it or change the hardware that much, you can't even change the software. You can't right. even. You've got to get special approval from Apple. It was a closed system, and he felt this is going to be cleaner. It's going to be more efficient. We're going to uh, we're going to solve glitches that way. We're going to minimize glitches. All of those things have largely turned out to be proven to be true. Mm. But it was it was against what everybody else was doing in the beginning. It was one of their key differentiators, and people hated him for it. But he just held the line. He said, that's one of our differentiators. And if you don't yeah. like it, that's fine. There are plenty of other options out there.
0: I tell you, I, I have. I learned that lesson and I lived that lesson, which is, you know, when we opened up pulpatina here in Eastchester and Larchmont, literally, just so people understand, in New York, pizza is a religion. We had guys come in and there's a small space, about a thousand square feet. And he was just like, you're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. You don't have Coke. You don't have Budweiser. You don't have uh, garlic knots. You don't have balsamic <laughs> vinegar. You don't have all this stuff. No, we don't have any of that. Never going to make it screaming at us. And, you know, those first couple months, the first year, you're kind of like, shit, maybe this guy's right. Maybe we yeah. should have garlic knots. Maybe we should do it. But then it was like, what if our garlic knots were like this? And what if we put uni butter into our pasta? What if we did? So we kind of went the other way. Like, screw this guy. If you want pepperoni slices and two of Coke, which I love, too. There you are know?
1: plenty of options. Yeah, there's no they're shortage. everywhere. Yeah, go, dude. And it's Let one go. of those things where you say, <laughs> yeah. hey, listen, I, if that's what you want, that's great. Listen, there's a place down the street. Let me write down the name and the number. You should yeah. definitely go there. Right. That place is great. That's not what we are. If you want right. this, you yeah. come here. That's if my favorite restaurant that, sign. You can go anywhere ever. else.
0: My favorite restaurant sign ever was uh, you know, some snarky place. And it said, like, remember, you walked in here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. Just cut you can take all the other bullshit ones down. Like, that's the one. But yeah, it's it's a great point because I know that so many people are sitting there struggling, like, wow, you know, I have this the best coffee, you know, and I make the best lattes, but they're not coming in the door and they're not understanding why, you know, why is Starbucks getting so much more or why is this other coffee shop getting so much more, or whatever it is. And they're not looking into their story into some so other it, way, especially now you can tell it how many different ways.
1: Now you bring up a really great point. Now we can bring this conversation full circle. I've got the best coffee. Why are people going to Starbucks? There's something called the better trap. And I talk about it a lot, right? Better is one axis. You slide up and down on the fader, right? It's bad. It's better. It's good. It's great. It's excellent. It's exceptional, right? You can only move up and down on one thing. Number one, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's subjective. Yes. And when you tell people, why do you go to Starbucks? Come to my pizza place. Mine's or uh, my coffee place. Mine's better. You've also sort of insulted their taste yep because the consumer goes, oh well, I never realized that I, I like Starbucks. so what does that say about me? Yeah, maybe like- I'm not I'm not right for your thing. When we talk about what are the stories only you can tell, realize I'm not talking about quality, I'm not talking about better. I'm talking about different yep. right How are you different? So you ask me, how do I work with you know uh, clients how do I work with operators to get them to see these things? I'm different right? I don't say, well, I'm better than all the competitors. There are thousands of consultants out there. You yeah, right. go find a great one, they've yep. got great resumes, just like me. They've got you know great things to bring to the table. What sets me apart is that this is what I believe. This is what you are getting when you bring me along. If you believe what I That's believe, point. then here. And it's the same thing for every business. If you believe what we believe, this is Apple, this is Starbucks, this is every great company out there. If you believe what we believe, then great welcome. Seth Godin always talks about this. The most uh, most famous words in marketing, people like us do things like this. The first hmm. time I heard that, I was like, oh man, because when we start talking about marketing then, and PS, all business is marketing. When we start talking yep. about marketing then, we're talking about culture. We're We're looking for people who believe what we believe. And yep. when we, and we have to be able to articulate what it is we believe. Now we go back to that why thing again, right? Yeah. Why do we exist? We exist because you can get a slice anywhere in the neighborhood. I think about one of my clients out in Montclair. He does this like uh, this Roman uh, style like pan pizza. They come out in rectangles. It's called uh, a Teglia Pizza Bar. Mm-hmm. And they're great. It's like nothing else out there. And he's having trouble getting on you know, to finding a foothold. And I said, you Mm. just have to keep going. Your stuff is great. Your stuff is differentiated. You have quality, all of that. You just have to give it time for people to catch on. Yeah. Differentiation is everything.
0: Yeah. And it's not, it's not easy. You're going to feel, it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable, I think. But I think that that's such a major key. Do you think that that, I mean, I think I know this answer, but I just like to (laughs) hear your take on it is, you know, I'm always big on the experience, right? Like, I don't care if you're going to get a hot dog at a cart. You know, the guy's personality might be funny. That's an experience. Or you're going to Grammar Street Tavern. That's an experience. Yep. How, how does the differentiation strategy play into the overall restaurant experience?
1: So you brought up really my favorite word experience. And now experience is sort of like tarnished and people are sick of it. Yeah. But we say, oh, we sell products or services, We sell products or services. And I am convinced that in hospitality, we sell experiences because oh we do sell Absolutely. a product. We are also selling a service, right? We're bringing them food we're clearing it away we're we are we're serving yeah. them so are we paying for the product or the service we're paying for both and we're paying for the decor and we're paying for the status the ability to be in this great what it, we're selling experiences and uh you know and you'll never find this in an economics textbook but yeah when you when you really think about the experience you're you're uh, you're selling then there's so many other opportunities to differentiate. Mm -hmm. You are, even the, you know, you look at, I don't know, the 20 best restaurants in New York City, let's say, Mm
0: -hmm. right?
1: They're all offering a different experience. They're all expensive. They're all really great. They're different cuisines. They're different locations. They're different service styles. They're offering a different experience. And what we have to get better about doing in restaurants is number one, understanding that we are creating an experience and being really deliberate about how we create and curate that experience. And then the most important part of it is that we've got to get really good about communicating it. This is where we really fail. I got good food. I got good service in a cool dining room. Nope. Good, good, cool. Now you're again, getting into that better trap. Yep. Good food, good service. What do you mean? Good as opposed to good, but not great because I was at a great restaurant. It's not enough anymore. We have to differentiate. This service. Even if you look at like sushi counters mm-hmm. in the city, right? If you look at Nakazawa, Sushi Naz, and Shuko, three of like the best sushi counters that omakase experience, mm-hmm. they're wildly different. Sushi Naz is is like a like a chapel. Mm-hmm. It is silent. It is quiet. It's quiet. You and seven yeah. other people at that counter, depending which counter you're sitting at. So it, it's. I mean, it's holy. It's sacred. Yeah. Right. Nakazawa, they do more. Um. Uh, there's a little bit more life in the room. Um, and they do a lot more, uh, a lot more touches on the food. They use more sauces, et cetera. Like it's, it's a different experience. Yep. And then Shuko's got like Biggie playing in the background, right? Yep. It's loud. It's energetic. The the, um, the sushi chefs talk to you. They're, they're not all Japanese. You've got some uh, American guys in there. You've got some, uh, you know what I mean? Like That's it's awesome. a totally different experience. Is one better than the other? No, they're all just different. It depends what you're in the mood for. Are you in a client dinner? Are you on a date? Are you just out with a buddy? Like, yeah, you know what I mean. And oh, that's that's the thing. I think you know people get they get in their head like, no, a sushi
0: place is supposed to be like this, an Italian place is supposed to be like this, and you know whatever. It it, the Mexican place is supposed to be like this, and unfortunately, people like you said, everybody wants to fit in. I want to fit in. I want to be a Mexican restaurant. I'm going to compete because my enchiladas are better than that guy's. That's not going to work. Right. You Please know, tell these people that doesn't work. Right. That's not the that's not the that's not the path to making money at, or whatever the hell else these people think it is. Ego, one of on the best enchiladas in the county, whatever. You're not going to get there. You're just not going to get there.
1: When we talk about differentiation, we bring up this idea of positioning, which is this old school thing from like the 60s. Right. It's an old uh, it's an old Madman like Madison Avenue thing. Positioning is this thing where you're in a you say, OK, we're opening a restaurant. There are other restaurants in our market. We're opening mm-hmm. an Italian restaurant. Obviously, there are other Italian restaurants in our market. You're going to be in a category, quote unquote, Italian restaurant. So you're going to be lumped in with a lot of others. And what you need to do is position yourself within that category. And this is the key to differentiation, right? So Shuko, this sushi counter, is up there with other high-end omakase-style sushi dinners, right? Mm-hmm. So they're in a category with nakazawa and nas and and, Yasuda and on and on and on and on right mm-hmm. 40 different places in new york city how do they differentiate themselves well we're gonna have super dim lighting loud music fun and energetic you know what i mean like that's how they did it so you're gonna be in a category naturally but then you have to figure out a way oh it's a sushi counter but loud uh loud music right. really fun atmosphere Yep. Same thing with pizza, right? I, I use this uh, uh, this guy, one of my clients, Joseph, Teglia Pizza Bar, right? Mm-hmm. We're a pizza place in Montclair, but it's not by the slice. It's not round pizzas, not a Neapolitan thing. Mm. It's a Roman style yeah. pan pizza. So really crispy, rectangular shape, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Like that's their differentiator. So there are 40 that's... pizza places in Montclair, New Jersey, <laughs> but he's now separated himself. He's the only one doing what he is doing. So if you want that, there's only one place to go get it. Yeah, that's the same thing Apple did. Same thing Starbucks did. Same yeah. thing Nike did. You look at the biggest companies in the world, on and on and on. But you got to have the cash to make that work,
0: right? If you're going to be that different, you got to be like, okay, this has got to be. We're going to be different. We're probably not going to do the numbers right off the bat, right? I mean, that's a risk. It's a huge risk, and I think it falls into it's, it's so hard, right? Like so, being underprepared or what have you.
1: I think that's fair, but is it any more? Is it any more uh, dicey? Then doing it the other way, opening no. just another oh. pizza place, here's the flaw. No. So now we get back to where we started this conversation, which is goal setting, mm. systems and goals. Yeah. What are my goals? What does your budget look like? What does your pro forma look like for the yeah. first year? So few operators know this when they open. I've opened nine restaurants in my career mm-hmm. and uh, and I've opened them for for great operators and uh, for, for great owners and not great owners. Mm-hmm. And the difference is that they knew what to expect. They were conservative in their numbers. And, you know, they underestimated revenue, they overestimated expenses, and they gave themselves the time to grow. And then they had a plan to grow. Not just if we build it, they will come. Well, a plan. Like,
0: yeah, like that's you said, a
1: plan. how many operators have that plan, live and die by that plan, and more of them die than live? If I build it, they will come. No, they won't. No, they won't. And that's the, th- I mean, I, I love that you say
0: that because it's, it's really It's uh, to me, you know, people say, why do restaurants go to business? Why do so many restaurants go to business? And to me, I'm like, it's under this umbrella of the ego. Like, how many folks, how many restaurants have you gone to? And they're saying, hey, Chip, please, we need help with this. Can you help us out? And you're like, yeah, totally. I can help you. Here's what you need to do. And then they're like, well, we're not doing that. Yeah. Right. Totally. (laughs) Totally. It's ego getting in the way. Like, we can't take that dish off the menu. Well, I can't yeah. fire that host. That's my cousin's sister's best friend's yeah. neighbor. <laughs> I can't fire them. You know, like that they've been with us for 25 years, right? Maybe it's time, right? Maybe it's time.
1: Yeah. So it's, 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 it's an interesting,
0: uh, it's a mindset. It all goes to mindset. I
1: think that restaurant owner mindset is, is a big, big, there's a lot going on there, right? It's a big thing to tackle. If you, if you did this from the beginning, right? I mean, this is the thing, right? If I said, Hey, if you do it this way, you're going to close within a year and a half and you're going to be out." X number hundreds of thousands dollars or millions of dollars, right? Or right, there's a path where you're out of business in a year, or there's a path where you're profitable, but it's gonna take you about three years. Mm-hmm. But you got to do everything, right? Like that's a real question. Yeah. That's a real it's harder and it's a longer investment. Do you mm-hmm. want to lose all your money in a year? Or do you want to lose some money for a year and a half or two years to eventually turn it around? Right, like yeah. it gets to the heart of why you want to be here, and if you want to be here, yeah, there's an investment. Yeah, there's you need to count on low sales for a little while. That's why I always ask. I'm, I always say, "Show me your P&Ls." Right, when mm-hmm. an operator calls me in, or when a restaurant owner calls me in, say, so "Show me your P&Ls and show me your pro forma for the for the year for during that period." Mm. Guess how many people have all those things? And you just made like ten people sweat, at least. Yeah,
0: <laughs> what were
1: Because basically. A pro forma is a projection. Let's just be clear, projection yeah. is an educated guess. How much did you think you were going to make? And then let's look at the P&L and see what you actually made. Yeah. So then you learn more about your decision-making process. What did I think I was going to make? W- what led me to the decision? What led me to believe I was going to make X number of dollars in revenue? Yeah. And then look at the reality. If you can get really good at that, doing a pro forma every month and then looking at your um putting that up against your PL, you do that oh. month after month after month religiously, those numbers will get closer and closer yep. and closer and closer. It is inevitable. And people say, Oh, well, I don't have all that time that by the third month you will oh. get really, oh. really good. Yeah. At it. I'll tell you, you get,
0: that's just exactly what I was going to say. Cause I, when I transitioned out of the kitchen to being the operator of the, of the units, it was like, I needed to do it right. I, I, I love numbers. I love understanding where we're supposed to be and where we're at, what you're alluding to there. And, you start to you can just look at a number and know what day of the week it was. You'll know it. Yeah. You can will like, why, why why do we why are we down so much that day? I'm like, oh, that it snowed that day. Um, this day we got a lot of deliveries, that's why the, yep. the cogs are so high that day. But yeah, it's it becomes a, a muscle that you have to develop. People go, I don't like numbers. Well, you better fucking start to like them because that's you know, the like, whole yeah. thing. That's yeah. business.
1: Business yeah. is numbers, and it's basic. Here's the beauty: it's just basic arithmetic. Yeah. You need more coming in than you have going out. <laughs> profit and loss revenue and yeah. expenses. Yep. That's easy. I'm not asking you to go any further than that. Yeah. You build a spreadsheet. You build an Excel spreadsheet that'll do all the the heavy lifting for you. Yeah.
0: You, you can right? hire a bookkeeper who who'll who'll do it for you and just explain to you. You know, like I always say my uh my economics professor in college was like actually it was a finance class and he was like, "Keep this real simple, guys. Money in good money out bad yeah this whole class is based on that like how are we gonna that that's basically and you just wrote that on the board and now to me that's what i think about all the time okay is this money in or money out like what are, what are we talking about here and so, it's it's scary how many owners
1: just will push against the tide for so long it's so true and meanwhile if you say okay over the course of the year right and let's let's say over the course of the year we need to be back at a break even right mm-hmm. so we're going to invest 11 months of time right you got a plan for that and then you got a plan for growth Okay. We're making $0 on day zero. Mm-hmm. And then we need to be making X number of dollars on day 365. Mm-hmm. There's a path to there. when you start laying out a year long pro forma, right? Which again, it's just a series of educated guesses. At least it gives you targets. In order for me to get to the place I want to get to, I have to make these sort of incremental yeah. steps. And then you say, well, I'm making it up, right? Well, we made $100,000 uh, last month, but the the pro forma that we did says we got to make $120,000 next month. Okay. Then you break it down by week, by by day, by by day part if you have to, and you figure out, great, what's my path there? I, I spent a lot of time talking about this, the path to profitability. Yeah, There is a path to profitability. It is dollars and cents. Yeah. The beauty part of a pro forma is that you make it work on paper before you make it work in real life. Very few restaurants are like, whoa, we're yeah. super successful and we have no idea why. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And if you are,
0: just shut your mouth and keep doing what you're doing, right? But the odds are, that's what I – like they're looking externally like, oh, these people should be drinking my coffee. Why don't they understand that my my meatballs are the best? What Instead of saying, oh, there's got to be something that we're doing wrong. Yeah. You know, not looking in the mirror. I mean I think the restaurants, especially the last two years or so who are thriving and surviving, were the ones that looked at themselves and said, okay, I got some time now. How, how are we going to make this work? That's exactly that, right. That,
1: that should be a theme of, of restaurant ownership. And, and it's not so much about what, and I want to reframe something you just said there because because uh, I think it's really easy, especially in this industry, to feel defeated and to get defeated. But it's not what am I doing wrong, but what can I do better? Mm. Right? It's the, right. It's the same thing. It's just reframed a different way. And that's what I spend most of my time doing. It's not about what you're doing wrong. Yeah, in a certain way, what can we, how can we turn this better? Everything, everything can be turned around. It, I mean, it really can. It's about yeah. understanding who's your audience. What do they want? Can you give them what you, you, know, how are you uniquely qualified to give them what they want? Yeah. How do you I mean, let it, them know that you've solved their problem? And then once you,
0: I guess, so then once you identify this, right? Like, Hey, let's say they do have their pro forma. You, they do whip out the L. You, you dust yourself up off the ground. after you finally find somebody who has everything together, and you look at it and then like, you know what? Yeah, we do need to, we need to do drive more lunch sales. We do need to drive more uh, table side liquor sales. That process. I mean, how, do you get that granular in your work? Or, I mean, how oh, do, yeah. how do they, okay. So how do they, how do you start analyzing it? How does that, can you walk me through those steps? Because I know that's a problem that a lot of people have and they just
1: don't know where to start. You know, so but, again, it, it turns into opportunities, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's looking at a, at a revenue breakdown and saying, where are our opportunities, right? Hey, Monday was really bad. That's an opportunity. Yeah. Right. right. Either we close and we save the expenses for that day and we're saving our expense budget, right? It's four Mondays worth of labor we're losing, let's say. Right. Or, hey, there's Monday. We're fully staffed. We do $2,000 in revenue to use the example from before. Shouldn't be that hard to just push it up over the edge and, and get us to a break even. Mm-hmm. What can we do to do there? It's about looking at your business and looking for opportunities. And you brought up the pandemic a, a second ago, right? The, the thing that the operators that stayed open when it was so difficult to stay open, yeah. right? The thing, and, and I heard uh, Nick Akonis gave an interview on, um, uh, gave a podcast interview, Nick Akonis, for anybody who do- doesn't know him, he's one of the co-owners of the Alinea restaurant group out in Chicago. Yep. Their number one biggest revenue day in their 15 year history happened during the pandemic, and it wasn't even doing their regular menu. It was when they did this um, like Beef Wellington to go. They basically said, we have Beef Wellington to go, pre-order it. And they had their single biggest day of their 15-year life on whatever. It was like Saturday, May 20th or whatever. (laughs) And then they broke that record the following Saturday, right? Everything that happened out of the pandemic is people said, hey, we're used to serving you in one way, right? We're used to solving one problem for you, meaning people came in, they ate and they left. Mm-hmm. That was an experience that we were providing. That's a problem that people had. People And they were super we experienced, right? Like they're like lighting trees on fire and yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, they're all about the experience. But in the pandemic, operators that made their money mainly one way when people came in, had the experience there and then left, they lost all that when the government said, oh, you got to shut down. The ones that, and the pivot word, right? That 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 dreaded P word, mm-hmm. the ones that pivoted even subconsciously said, Hey, we can't serve you in the way we used to serve you. We can't solve that problem. What problem do you now have that we're capable of solving? Right. How can we serve you in a new way? Yep. Which is market research. Yeah. You look at a market and say, what do people need? What do people need that they're willing to pay for? What do people need that they're willing to pay for that I'm uniquely qualified to provide? That's, what every single business, every successful business in the world does and what operators learned, what I think our restaurant, what the, our industry learned uh, really acutely during that time is that those who pivoted did that in their head. They did the the mental yeah. gymnastics and said, we can't serve you in this way. We can no longer serve this problem. What other problem do you have? And you know what people, what problem people had is that they were at home. They were sick of cooking for themselves and they needed uh, they needed the at-home meal kits. Yeah. They needed the the takeout. They needed there were other ways that they needed to be served. And the best restaurants out there figured out how to how to serve them at a really difficult time to do. And I'm not saying it's easy because you had to flip your business model overnight. Yeah. I know a guy who
0: basically turned his deliveries into a little grocery store. Like you know, yeah. the wine truck and the food truck, and they'd pair everything together. You got some rubber gloves, you got bleach, you got chicken, you got everything. Yep, a couple of cases of wine and I mean, it's survival mode, and I think that goes back to the mindset. What's interesting to me now is, I don't know, like, what sense are you getting from operators now in terms of, are they getting back to where they were? Like, hey, we just still want to get back to where we were. We're looking to expand. We're looking to, you know, whatever at a food truck, or are they in that mode, or would you say are they still kind of like in the? Let's just hope this shit doesn't happen again. Let's kind of keep our stuff in the in a box.
1: So much of what I talk about, and it's a great question. So much of what I talk about is getting all our ducks in a row, getting our financial house in order, the p the pro formas, mm-hmm. and the systems for marketing the restaurant, right? A thriving, you know, healthy email list, you know, a good social media following, a great website, you know, great reputation management. All of that mattered three years ago. We just mm-hmm. didn't realize how much it mattered, right? If you didn't have an email list and the pandemic hits and you shut down, and you were just going to do takeout. You had no way to tell people, yeah. Uh, except for Facebook and Facebook, you got five thousand followers. They'll show it to thirty-two of them. <laughs> you know, like you weren't able to. Unless reach you pay up, right? Yeah. Your people, unless you pay up. Yeah, yeah. So the response on operators uh, from operators now is really varied. I will say, hmm. I will say, the danger and and what I find most often is this: like, I just want to get back to normal. And this is what I spend a lot of time talking to people about that. There is no more normal. There's a new normal and we've learned so much. Why would we ever want to go back to the way things were,
0: right? right?
1: Rent was uh, going up through the roof. Labor kept increasing and now food's increasing. You can't go back to where you were that the numbers don't make sense. Likewise, over the next year, we're going to, we're going to see this when dining out costs 20, 30% more than it did two or three years ago. People just out of necessity are gonna say, I can't afford to go out that much anymore. Yeah. You're gonna to have to really convince them. This is why you should part with your hard-earned money and come in. This is why we are worth it, which again goes back to that same marketing problem. Like it's all the same stuff. We have to convince people why they should why they should come to us. Yeah. I mean, that's that that is that that's a great segue into the
0: marketing piece. So so many restaurants are you know, just learning about this digital stuff, right? The Instagram was a thing, and we got it, we did it, we did our business, and we all know how that <laughs> went. But now, that now you're 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 an e-commerce company, you're a digital marketer. How receptive have these guys been? I mean, particularly like the Grammar Taverns of the world, the, the higher ends or the Irish bar. Are they still are they buying into building these email lists? Or yeah, right? It's not. Yeah, it's I, not, mean, no, not no, I, I mean, no, I mean, not
1: saying. not in the way they not in the way they should. There's there's some foundational stuff that every business should have, right? Just foundational. We started talking about some of that. Why do you exist? Yep. Right. I always say, what's the definition for marketing? If you read it in a textbook, it makes no sense. So Mm -hmm. I always give my, my, um, my definitions, three questions. What's the product? Who is it for? And how can you reach them? That's it. That's all we ever have to worry about. Who's our product for, right? What is it? Who's it for? How can we reach them? Yep. That's. That's it. And then how do we sell it? Right? How do we, how do we reach them? Everybody needs a website. Mm -hmm. Everyone needs a web presence, right? Everybody needs social media pages. Everybody needs an email list. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs a reliable way to keep in touch. Um, and now one of the things we learned through the pandemic, and this is why, right, there's, there's opportunity in every crisis. And I, I choose to look at it as a blessing in disguise because it showed us all the cracks and chips in our in our business model. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's shown us that we need four, five, six different revenue streams. Oh yeah, right? You yep. need in-person dining. You need takeout and delivery. You need private dining. You need off-site catering. You need retail. You need cooking classes. You need what it, come up with your list. What else can you do? Yeah, right. What else can you do? You have assets. This is like this is what any business outside of our industry does. I have assets. How can I exploit these assets? They talk about this. I always, I've got a bunch of people who produce Broadway shows and they always talk about how we exploit the entity. So if you option a show, right? If a producer options a show, let's say Hamilton, right? How can I exploit the entity? Meaning I have optioned this property. How can I make as much money as possible off this thing? So I do a production in uh, New York, in Chicago, in L.A., in San Francisco, in London, in Sydney. I put out a bunch of national tours. I put out a European tour. I film it for Disney Plus. I put out merchandise. I sell music. I s- like there. Are, there are hundreds of ways to make money mm-hmm. off of that entity. So your restaurant is a property, is an entity. How can you exploit that? You've got human assets there, right? Your chef, your GM, your wine director. How are you utilizing them to make as much money as you possibly can? That's why I bring up the idea of like a, like cooking classes or wine classes or whatever. You may choose not to do it, but know that that's a revenue stream available to you and you're simply neglecting it.
0: Yeah. It's that's, that is something I really wish would stick around because there was a group up here during the pandemic that did, I did it. I think they did it expertly. Like, Hey, we know you love this dish. Um, you know, Kind of they were basically insinuating like it's not the same when we take it home, so why don't you guys just make it? You know, and he would say, Friday, we're gonna do, we're gonna we're gonna make it Friday at six o'clock. Uh, so here's the shopping list. Yeah, and then he would tease it throughout the week, like, hey, if you're gonna be part of part of the uh, cooking class on Friday, this is the pasta that I use, this is the exact cheese that we use. And and he made it like, Oh, wow, this is really cool and did a series of them, didn't continue them, but I was like, That's really cool. Yeah. That is something
1: you could do. Very easily, right? Whether you continue or not, the idea is can you challenge yourself to think outside the box, to make money mm-hmm. in a variety of different ways? And again, I named a bunch of them in-person dining, takeout and delivery, private dining, mm-hmm. off site catering, personal chef. I-, I don't know why that's not taking off. That's there's yeah. such an opportunity. There are so many it doesn't matter what market, what city, what town, what kind of restaurant, that would be cool for somebody to hire a chef. And now I don't know. Maybe your chef can be gotten for $500 for the night. Maybe your yeah. chef is $15,000, I don't know, but there's a revenue stream available to you and you can provide a really great experience. There's that E-word again for mm-hmm. somebody who's willing to do that or interested in doing that. I mean, there's, there's so many opportunities. And that's, I think, what's going to happen over the next couple of years. People that are really diversifying their revenue streams and finding yeah. as many ways as possible to make money.
0: I, I think that, there, there's a... There's an inherent like thing that kicks in on people and in in real estate, they'll say, like, um, my friend, my friend Beth has this saying says, uh, don't say no for the prospect. Like, don't don't say, Oh, you know, I know that guy, he won't like this space. Don't people do that in the restaurant business. Now, my customers won't like this, or they they won't appreciate this. You don't know. You gotta try something. You're in survival mode, you're trying to figure things out don't say no unless you've actually tried it because they're 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 putting their own ego I think and their own wants and needs ahead of their guests and that's a problem
1: and 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 understand and I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast to this to this conversation knows that this is also true right consumer behavior has changed and will continue to change right mm-hmm. we are never going back to the 9 to 5 lifestyle never no. zero never the the millions of people that commute into any city it will just never happen with the same sort of scope that it was happening mm-hmm. in 2019. Never. So oh. what does that mean? Listen, what does that mean for I mean, cities here? Again, I live in New York City. It's, you know, I keep that in mind. What does that mean for the, uh, the subway system? That's like a yep. big issue that's being wrestled with now, right? Do we just run it at a loss? Do we run less trains? Do we stop overnight? These are all things that they're thinking about. But what do you do if you serve? And I've got a couple of clients that fall into this category. What do you do if you serve the lunch crowd? Right. Yeah. I've got people now two plus years oh. later who yep. are just hanging on. They're like, I oh, we just we're just hanging on. We're just waiting until oh, they call God. people back to the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just waiting until they call back to. And I've had conversations saying they are no. never coming yeah, back no. to the office. And <laughs> even, even if just 10% of the people, that's 10% is a meaningful number. How many people can listen to this, you know, look at your numbers and say, what would I do with 10% less revenue? Mm-hmm. Like you just, you can't pay your rent, yeah. especially in, in Midtown, right? Tiny yeah. A little shoebox is 40,000, $80,000, right? 10% off. You can't pay that rent. No. And I, I tell you what, that's, that's really
0: happening because, um, it's a buddy of mine who has been in the business for a long time in the liquor sales business. And I was in the city the other day, and this is very telling. And it's interesting that you say that about lunch, because I was like, Hey, I got some time to kill. I know you're kind of, in a similar boat are you around and he's like you know what my whole everything changed uh a lot of the restaurant accounts that i dealt with are no longer open for lunch so yep. i don't go any- that was a great time to come in Hey, it's a little slower let me talk to you guys about some things yep and he's like so now i don't go until about 2 30 or 3 i kind of yep. catch them before dinner service so yeah it's 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 learning to adapt right i mean that's the same old story for everybody
1: it's a big deal like again what do you know what do people what do people need where are they again what's the product who is it for how can you reach them mm-hmm. or put another way it's like what do people need and how can you provide that for them it's like that's that's the heart of what what all you know what all business is and why marketing is so integral to to any business operation and i think
0: also you know just to go back to that that differentiation thing and and your marketing and trying to stay stay alive here your uniqueness is in being you right like i think that whatever it is is that personality and and your you know you it, it's easy to turn to the food right but being you why you chose the neighborhood and and just your personality of of the owner or the bartender or the server there's a great account on TikTok that I don't know who the owner is but he lets their staff run with the TikTok and it is incredible you know yeah. they do very trendy stuff they're they're making drinks they're you know making fun of customers it's 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 great <laughs> and i think that it's it, when you go in there like i know what the vibe is when i go in there Right? Like if I went in there and they gave me some very stuffy vibe, I'm like, this is off-putting. But if it's exactly like what it's on there, yeah. it seems like a fun place to watch a game and have a drink. I think that's, that's super cool.
1: And that gets to, you know, so when we talk about TikTok, our website, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, these are, that's not marketing. Those are channels available mm-hmm. to the marketer to help tell your story. Marketing is really the fundamental foundational stuff, right? What market exists? What do people need? How can I provide them with what they need? Again, how am I uniquely qualified to provide that? How can I separate myself from everything else out there so that I can get attention and market share? How can I continue to serve them now that I've done all of that, which is marketing? Now, how can I let people know? Again, what's the product? Who is it for? How can I reach them? How can I let them know that I'm solving the problem that I know they have? Right. And then you use TikTok. You use uh, Facebook. You use your website. You use paid ads. You whatever it it is. Yeah. But that's not marketing not until you do all that foundational stuff of like what do i have who wants it how can i separate myself from all the other choices out there right that the, again marketing textbooks talk about that value proposition which mm-hmm. simply means why does somebody choose you instead of one of your competitors there's yeah. an answer to that you just have to supply it yeah wow
0: that's a lot I and mean, that's a great point to end on but i don't i have one more question when you when you're looking at um all these restaurants and as a whole and all your years of experience to the groups that are out there that maybe kind of made it through the, the pandemic, then they're trying to reassess where they're at. What's the one thing, if there is one thing or, or two things that they should really just start, they can't afford to hire a consultant, whatever. what could they really look at? What should they really start to focus on if things are not exactly where they wanted to be? So what do you mean when, cause that's a, it's a little bit vague. Yeah. It's difficult because, I mean, I mean, what in your experience, would you say like 90% of the time it's this or 80% of the times, or is it so one-off that there, maybe there's no answer? Kyle, you're no, amazing. No, 90%,
1: answer. 90% of the time, it is exactly what I, what I just said. Yeah. I have found yeah. is that they have an undifferentiated product. They yeah. can't explain why they exist. So they can't explain it to themselves or to me. Mm-hmm. So how could they possibly explain it to their staff or to the consumers they hope to attract? You have to take a position. You have to differentiate yourselves. and often. That just means like, who are you? Again, we talked about the difference between being a 14-year-old and a 44-year-old, right? At 14, we just wanted to fit in. We didn't want to stick out. But as you grow up, you realize like you've got your own taste. You like things that are quirky, that are different than other people. Mm -hmm. You've created a place that should be an extension of you. So let it be. Let it be a celebration of the things you believe and the community that you're trying to serve. Be quirky in the ways that they want you to be quirky right the, uh, stranger things right stranger mm-hmm. things the show that's on netflix yep. is not for everyone anybody who was born after let's say 1988 just doesn't get it right right you've right. got to be that like young millennial like gen x mm-hmm. and if you do if you're in that you totally get it and netflix basically you know they made the show saying it's not for everybody but the people who it is for are going to love that thing. yeah right raving so fans yeah don't be everything to everyone you can't you won't you're not coke Right. Right? Like just be something to someone. And, you know, this idea of the smallest viable audience, right? Who can you serve? What's the smallest group of people that you can serve that will keep you profitable? For me, it comes down to understanding why you exist, who you're for, what problem you're solving. That's marketing. That's understanding how you fit in within your market. Mm. You do that. It'll solve so much else. Damn. Well, you guys
0: heard that. You guys got some homework now. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's because you you get caught up in those things and then you're just off Monday and you can't, you're trying to scale, run all your business. But taking the time to do your homework is important. And I'll, I will say this, guys, before we wrap up, make sure you are following uh, Chip everywhere because I tell you, when I see your, your content, I'm like, shit, I better get something to write this down because you got so many gems in your content. I'm like, wow, this is like super and it's actionable. And it's very, very, I will tell you guys thought provoking. So if you're of that mindset, and you should be uh, you're running a business. Uh, give Chip a follow make sure you're, you're paying attention to what he's saying.
1: Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, i listen. Uh, I've always I always love our conversations. Uh, I love I love you on TikTok, man. I, <laughs> I every day. I'm like, what's I'm this guy do doing right now? now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, I gotta get some going today, so that you, you'll you'll see some shenanigans for sure.
1: Great conversation, wow. man. I appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, good luck with the move, and uh, I'll see you out there. Thanks. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. My name is Kyle and Sarah. I'm your host, and you have just stumbled upon or returned back to the number one and fastest growing podcast for independent restaurant owners in the United States. So welcome. If this is uh, your, you know, you come back here all the time, then welcome back. Appreciate you, whether you're new or you're old. I truly appreciate you guys showing up and checking out the show. Um, It's summer to me. I don't care what anybody says. June 21st, was it five days away? It is definitely not spring. I don't even know what spring is anymore. I think spring is like that one sunny day that feels kind of, at least here in New York, it just feels kind of warmer than what it was like, oh, this must be spring. And then it just goes into hot and humid, which is I'm fine with. I'm fine with it. And a lot of people have strong feelings, but I hate the cold. I love the warm. That's me. And maybe you're different. And that's why we're all here because we love restaurants and we have different <laughs> opinions about the weather. Um, so interesting, you know, kind of common thread here. Most of, if not, I'd say 90% of the guests that I have had on the show, I have met in some way, shape, or form, uh, meaning some platform, I've met online. And Chip Close, who is the guest for today, is no different. We met on Clubhouse, I believe. We talked about the show, I think it was Clubhouse. And um, he is just a gifted speaker, an experienced restaurant strategist, restaurant coach, consultant. You know, he, he'll he tell you, if you head over to his website, it says that he helps restaurants. Um, run more profitable businesses right more profitable restaurants are are a good thing and he he does coaching speaking he's also the host of the restaurant strategy podcast which i was on if you guys want to go check that one out um yeah and he's look i i did i joked in this episode that he's one of the guys when he starts talking on social media i'm like oh shit, let me get my let me get something to write this down with because he has so much knowledge he recently got his mba marketing so he's got that Feather in his cap, which is super awesome. And and you can tell just by the way he speaks, he knows and understands, forget about the restaurant business, but the broader picture, the business in restaurant, of running a restaurant. And that's super important because a lot of times, so many of us, I was guilty of it too, get caught up in the romance of the business, right? People coming in, you get to play host, you get to bring some of your favorite dishes over, you get to show off a new drink you have, a new dish you made. But what do your books like? look like? What do your books look like? What what is the business actually doing? Are you making money? What's your marketing strategy? Those are all things you got to be thinking about. And that's one of the reasons why I have wanted him on this show was to give that higher level look at what you guys should be doing. Um, He is extremely, extremely approachable, very quick to respond. So I suggest you reach out. And he's also a public speaker. Uh, He will be speaking at the Western Food Service and Hospitality Expo August 28th to the 30th in Los Angeles. And then back to the West Coast. He's a Brooklyn guy. He's moving to Jersey, but it's all good. Um, (laughs) Back to the West Coast for the Restaurant Expo November 2nd and 3rd in Costa Mesa, California. So if you can't catch him online, if he doesn't hit you up, if he doesn't respond to your email, which I doubt, go check him out there. and be like, hey, Chip, I need help. I'm trying to get in touch with you. Uh, But no, look, he is... um, absolutely one of the most approachable guys in the game. And uh, very grateful that he gave us some time to share his story, his experience and insight. This is chip close. Thanks guys. Enjoy. This episode of the national restaurant owners podcast is brought to you by plate IQ, your accounts payable automation and expense management solution. As a restaurant owner, you know how important it is to stay on top of your bills. PlateIQ works with over 20,000 restaurants across the country, helping them manage and automate the full life cycle of the invoice process, everything from general ledger coding up to and including bill payment. PlateIQ uses OCR. What's OCR, Kyle? I'm going to tell you. It's optical character recognition and deep machine learning to help eliminate manual data entry from the accounts payable process. With PlateIQ's vendor pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bills. That means you don't have to type it in. You scan it in and it does the rest of the work for you. How about that? Does that save you some time? Some headaches? With plate IQ's vendor pay, you can also see what is due and when. Schedule payments via check, ACH, or plate IQ card. Plus, you can even earn cash back. Yes, cash back on your invoices from over 180. 1,000 vendors. I didn't even know there were that many vendors. That's amazing. Lastly, vendor pay is also for vendors. Keeping your vendors happy will give you leverage in negotiating your terms. Vendors participating in PlateIQ's vendor pay love it because on average, they get paid 25% faster. To learn more, head over to PlateIQ.com, hit request demo in the top right-hand corner, and when you're done and you love it and you're ready to sign up, Mention that you heard all about Plate IQ on the National Restaurant Owners Podcast from Kyle and received 25% off implementation. This episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast is brought to you by Plate IQ. Don't forget to head over to plateiq.com, request that demo, let them know you heard all about it on the National Restaurant Owners Podcast, and you're going to get 25% off your implementation fees, and you'll probably create some new friends. (laughs) All right. Thanks guys. Have a great day.